Those words of Jesus, follow me, is what we will look at this morning as we study the Gospel of Luke again and hear Jesus tell that to those who would follow him. Before we do that, I want to pray even before that. I want to give you a personal note that I want to congratulate our son Christian. He graduated from Officers Candidate School, so he is a lieutenant in the Army. So we are proud of him. So very proud Christian, and he will continue his training and his future, and it's kind of up in the air for the next couple of months. But I know he has a great future and a great career ahead of him. So congratulations, Christian. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we come to his word. Lord, we are thankful that we look outside and we see your handiwork. And Lord, we look at our lives and we see your handiwork. And therefore, Lord, that's why we praise you along with the trees and uh, the animals and the sky. Lord, I also know as we live life, there's always the pull to run from you, to do our own thing, to ignore your words, and even worse, to ignore you. Lord, as we hear you call out to those in your day, follow me, I pray that we would hear the same words this morning. I pray especially for my brothers and sisters who are believers. They are your children, Lord. But their life is distracted and they may be far from you and they aren't following you. They're following their own way. Lord, I pray this morning they would come back to you. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are following you, Lord. And Lord, I know when we do, there will be ups and downs. There will be difficult times. There will be moments when we need endurance and faith. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give them that. I pray that all of us, Lord, as we leave today, would be committed to following you in obedience every moment of our life. And receive the blessing you promise for those who do. Teach us that now and move us in spirit, Lord, as we hear you speak. And I pray in your name, amen. As Jesus healed, as he taught, the crowd started to follow. It makes sense that that would happen, doesn't it? Imagine Jesus if he were here today and he came to Mecklenburg County. And in Clarksville, you heard the news that there was someone there who was healing people who came. And then he moved uh, to Chase City. You heard the same thing. And with his healing, he also was teaching like no one else had ever done. You would line up all of us preachers here in the county, and we couldn't even hold a candle to this guy who was preaching. Don't you think when he would come then to South Hill, there'd be a big crowd uh, to hear him, to see what he was doing? And so the same was happening in Jesus' day. As he went from town to town and village to village, people came. They brought their sick. They listened and were hanging on every word that he spoke. And the crowds got larger and larger. Listen to how Luke describes this part of Jesus' ministry. News about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. That would happen too. 
if he was here in Blackridge, we'd say, just stay here. Uh, don't go anywhere else. Uh, we need you here. So that's what was happening. Luke goes on to say in chapter 5, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word. Also, but the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. So you can imagine it, and you can see it. The crowds getting larger, it getting actually harder for Jesus to travel. Because there's people probably following him on the road, there's people lining up to see, there's people pressing in to see. Everywhere he goes, people want to hear him, and they want him to heal. But in the midst of all those crowds, there were others that Jesus spoke specifically to. Person to person. The first one we meet in Luke is Simon. Simon and his fishing partners, James and John, who are brothers, and also Simon's brother Andrew, they had been fishing all night long and had caught nothing. These crowds had come that morning to hear Jesus, and they're so large and they're pressing so hard that Jesus asked Simon, Simon, can I have one of your boats so I can sit in it and I can push it away from the shore and I can teach? Simon said, sure. That's what Jesus did. After he was done teaching, Jesus said to Simon, go back out into the deep water and cast your nets over the side. Simon is reluctant we just did that, nothing happened, but also he's willing to try. So he goes out there, does what Jesus says, and they start pulling in the nets, and they're so full of fish, they struggle with them, they can't fill up one boat, they need the other boat, so they bring the other boat, both boats overflowing with fish. And Simon realizes that he is in the presence of, not of just a man who can teach and do miracles, but he's in the presence of the Messiah. He says to Jesus, basically, I'm worthless. I'm not deserved to be in your presence. And Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. Or if you're familiar with the King James, I will make you fishers of men. The metaphor is clear. Peter had been spending his life catching fish. Now Jesus is going to give him a different mission. To go proclaim the news and bring people into the kingdom of God. And notice what Peter did. Brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed Jesus. We're also told that James and John, they hung up the business too. Andrew. So these four guys, they leave this fishing business, leave their families behind, and they follow Jesus. Later in Luke, Jesus comes to Levi. Levi's a tax collector. And you've heard enough sermons on tax collectors, you know how hated they were, even more than we hate our tax collectors today. They were hated because they collected taxes, as everyone hates tax collectors for that, but also because they were Jewish and they were collecting them for the Roman government, the occupiers of their land. So they were traitors. And they were often thieves, collecting more than they needed to to line their own pockets. So you can see why traitors, thieves, 
and tax collectors, all in one, were hated so much. But Jesus says to Levi, follow me. Luke says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So, leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Notice again, he left the table right where it was. Maybe he left the money on the table and everybody came and took it off, all right? He leaves his career, he leaves his family. Luke goes on to say that he threw a big party for all his other tax collectors, his friends, introducing them to Jesus. The Pharisees did not like that. Why is Jesus here with all these sinners? And Jesus explained to the Pharisees, this is why he came. It's the sinners that know they need a Savior. The righteous, the self-righteous, they think they don't need one. That was the Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't understand because they were self-righteous. They didn't need a Savior. Levi, the other tax collectors, the other sinners knew their sin and knew they needed a Savior. But Jesus, as he went from town to town, called out these specific individuals. There still were others. I imagine a large crowd. But even as the large crowds formed, some of them wanted to continue with the with Jesus, also the show. So imagine again, he came to South Hill. There was a huge crowd of thousands, and then maybe a few dozens, maybe even a hundred or more, say, wherever you're going next, Jesus, we're going. And so they would follow him. Well, we're told in Luke this. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his 12 disciples, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. And I read it wrong. He summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them whom he named apostles. So there were a larger group than 12 that were called disciples because, again, they were following Jesus. Jesus prayed all night long and after he prayed, he chose from among those 12 and were given their names. Notice how they're in pairs, as Luke uses the word and, which is significant because when they went out to minister, they ministered in pairs. So we assume these were how they went out. Simon, also named Peter, and his brother Andrew, James and John, remember those were also brothers in the fishing business with Simon, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, which is the other name for Levi that we just mentioned, and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the zealot. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who become a traitor. There are fishermen. There are brothers. There are people on the opposite side of the political spectrum. Could you imagine today if out of the 12 disciples Jesus chose today was a far-left liberal and a far-right conservative? That's what Jesus did. He's got Simon the Zealot. He's a revolutionary. He wants to overthrow the Roman government. He probably didn't meet any Roman that he didn't want to kill. On the other side is the guy we just talked about, Levi. He's collecting the taxes for the Roman government. You can't be more pro-government than he was. But they're both Jesus' disciples. Because what did they have in common? 
the call from the Lord, follow me. And their obedience to that call. Disciple, apostle. There were words that were used in general ways, but also in specific ways. A disciple, in its general term, is just someone who follows. Follows a person, follows their teaching, makes that teaching their way of life. An apostle is someone who is sent. Luke tells us that Jesus chose 12 disciples and he called them apostles. Because he was going to send them to do the same ministry he was doing. And so when we hear the word disciple, we can understand it in the terms of those first 12. But also we can understand it in a broader sense of anyone who followed Jesus then or anyone who follows him now. The same with apostle. There are the 12 apostles excluding Judas. Remember they had to add one because Judas hanged himself. They added Matthias to make 12 after Jesus' ascension. So they had 12 apostles that went out and started the early church. But in another sense, every Christian was sent out because every Christian was to go and spread the news. And so in a specific way, with the 12, or a general way, we can use those words disciple and apostle. So in a general way, all of us are disciples because we are followers. All of us are apostles because we are commanded to go and make more disciples. And in addition to those 12, as I already said, there were others that were following. There were also women that were following Jesus. Look what Luke says in chapter 8. Afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. Have you got, the, got this yet? I've been saying it for three weeks now. But Luke keeps telling us this was Jesus' ministry, town to town, healing and preaching. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary, called Magdalene, Seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. There are many women that are traveling with Jesus. And Luke names three of them. Two of them, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, are mentioned again when they, the women come to the empty tomb. And Jesus appears, as you know in the Gospel of John, personally to Mary Magdalene. He also appears to the group of women. These women, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, are the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as well as those who follow Jesus in his ministry. Notice they're not just observers, just watching. Yes, they were doing that. Watching the miracles, hearing the teaching. But they were partners in the ministry. They were providing money. Have you ever gone on vacation and you travel from town to town? That takes a lot of money, doesn't it? There's the gas money, there's the lodging money, there's the meal money. It adds up. When Jesus was going from town to town with 12 disciples nonetheless, and then many others, they needed places to stay, they needed to eat, 
Where did that come from? The generosity, I'm certain, of people in the town, but also, we're told, the generosity of these women. They were partners in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And so I think we need to avoid two extremes when it comes to these women. One extreme is to ignore them. And I think some in church history have. We hear all about the 12 disciples. How much do you hear about Mary Magdalene? Some. How much do you hear about Joanna? None. Or Susanna? These other women? They heard, they saw, they partnered just like the 12 and others did. Luke, remember, emphasizes the poor and women because in Jewish society they were often looked down upon. But Luke builds them up because that's what Jesus did. And again, who were the first witnesses to his resurrection? Women. And when they went and told the men, the men were terrible because they didn't believe it. But also, we shouldn't make Mary Magdalene the 13th disciple and Joanna the 14th. I don't like movie depictions of Mary Magdalene walking along James and John as though she's one of them. She is a disciple. She is a partner. But she did not hear and witness everything that Jesus shared with the disciples. Jesus could have chosen six women and six men, but he didn't. He chose 12 men. And then there were other women who were also partners. So that's the other extreme, elevating these women to the 13th through 15th disciples. Even among the 12 disciples, there were categories, if you will say it that way, of closeness to Jesus. Peter, James, and John were the closest to him. Out of those three, John probably was the closest to him. So, how much do we know about one of the other ones, Simon the Zealot? Not much. Gosh, we know a lot about Peter. John wrote a gospel and letters. So you see, even among the twelve, some were very, very close to the Lord. And others weren't. They weren't lesser disciples. They still fulfilled a purpose. They still were followers. But they weren't as close to Him. That makes sense when you realize, look at your life. How many people are close to you? And how many people are less than close? And how many acquaintances do you have? As humans, that's how it has to be. You cannot be close, personally, very close to 100 people. So it doesn't surprise me that this is how it was among the disciples. But this is what's even more important. I want us to see two more things that are, that are more important than how many there were and whether there were men or women. Jesus met all of the disciples exactly where they were. Jesus didn't say to Peter, you know, you got a, a business going here. Uh, why don't you sell this business and uh, then let's have an interview, and we'll talk, okay? He didn't say to Mary, 
I see you're troubled. Why don't you go see a psychiatrist? You know, you've got a lot of issues going on here. You know, I mean, you get these issues straightened out, and then maybe we can have an interview. We can talk. You know, I can't have someone who's out of their mind follow me around. It doesn't look good. You know, he doesn't say to Levi, you know, you've got a troubling career path here, guy. You know, uh, uh, why don't you, you know, it looks bad <laughs> that you support the Romans, and they're oppressing us. So you change jobs, go down to the unemployment office, and pick out something else. When you've done that, come back, we'll sit down, and maybe you can get in. No, Jesus met them right where they were. Yes, he did free Mary from the demons. But he just told Levi, come and follow. Simon, come and follow. He met them right where they are. That gives us hope. Jesus meets us where we are in all of our sin, all of our ugliness. He meets us there with all of the baggage. And he doesn't tell us, first go and get straight, first go and get rid of your baggage, first go and get right. He doesn't tell us to do that first. Wherever we are, that's where Jesus finds us and meets us. But also I think our modern American Christian culture has kind of gone too far with that truth and stretched it to the point where it's almost said that Jesus just accepts us as we are. Well, that's not really true. It's not as though Jesus sees all the sin and all the mess and all the baggage and he says, eh, that's okay, you're human. I can work with that. No, that's not what he says. He meets us where we are and he, he embraces us in spite of who we are, not accepting who we are, because Jesus wants to change us. He didn't leave Simon as a fisherman. He didn't leave Mary demon-possessed. He didn't leave Levi at the tax table. He said, come on, follow me, I've got something better. I, I'm going to change your life. You're going to be different. You don't have to change first, but Jesus doesn't want you to remain in sin with baggage and all messed up. He wants to change you and transform you. He wants to change you so that you have the righteousness of God and that your actions and your attitude and everything's like His. So let's not use the truth that Jesus meets we as we are as an excuse to remain in our sin because that's just who we are. And Jesus accepts that. He'll meet you where you are, but he doesn't accept your sin. He wants to change you and give you something better and a life that is far better. Jesus not only chose the 12 and also had the women, but he did have, as we learn in Luke, at one time he sent out 72 disciples in pairs he gave them authority over sickness, gave them authority over demons, and they went to preach the good news of the kingdom. You see, for Peter, for Mary, for Levi, for all the disciples, part of changing their lives was to give them new purpose. For Peter, fish versus building the kingdom of God, what a far greater purpose. For Levi collecting taxes for a Roman government, why not bring in people to the kingdom of God for the king of kings? For Mary, why be 
destroyed by possession of demons. When she could be one who testified to the resurrected Christ. Do you see how their purpose changed and it was far greater than what they were before? When the 72 came back, they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And that's where it begins. It begins with a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He gives us eternal life. Our names are written in heaven. Then He gives us a new purpose in life, and when we fulfill that, there's great joy. But the greatest thing is to know the Lord and to have heaven as our home. Jesus said, follow me. I want us to hear these verses to hear the second thing that's more important, and that is the commitment that it takes to be a disciple. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This guy says, Jesus, I'm up for it. Let's go. I'll follow you. And Jesus says, well, it's going to take some sacrifices. (laughs) For one thing, we're not sleeping in the nice hotels when we go from town to town. In fact, I don't even have a home address. This will be the same for you. You see, Jesus was telling him, you're going to have to give up the comforts of life and even the necessities of life to follow me. There's going to be a sacrifice. You will lose many things to follow me. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go and bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Jesus' response really sounds rude, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, if you came to me as your pastor and, you said, and I said, could you serve in VBS? And you said, oh, pastor, I would, but my dad's funeral's that week. And I said, well, forget the funeral. You come here to VBS. Who cares about your dad and his funeral? You would not be too much pleased with me, would you? But the point Jesus is making is this. There is no time to wait. See, the man wanted to delay following the Lord for a good reason. But there was no time to delay. Yes, there would be some social and family reasons to bury his father, but in the spiritual sense, his dad was already dead. There were other people who weren't dead yet that needed to hear the good news of the kingdom. And every moment he waited there was less time for him to tell other people. That's what Jesus was saying to him. The time is now. You cannot wait. And then finally another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This man said, I'm all in, Jesus. I'll follow you. But first, I've got to go say goodbye to my family. You know, I've got to kiss my wife, hug my kids, uh, maybe make sure all the finances are in order, uh, you know, make sure everything's taken care of, and then I'll come. And Jesus says, no. Your family is not before me. And I think this is the hardest lesson for any of us to learn, is that Jesus is before everything. 
including our family. Later in Luke, Jesus says, if you don't hate your family, you can't be my disciple. Yes, it's exaggeration. But Jesus exaggerated to make a point. Because often we can follow the Lord and embrace our family and do both. In fact, I would say love for our family and caring for our family and honoring our parents is second only to Jesus. But there does come times when we have to make a choice to follow the Lord or follow family. And Jesus said the only choice is to follow Him. You see, Jesus reminded these three that there is a cost to following Jesus. There's a sacrifice of comfort, even necessities. There's a sacrifice of family. There's a sacrifice of wanting to do what we want to do now. Jesus says, you have to give all that up if you're going to follow me. You see, too many times we want to add Jesus to our life. We want to do our own thing. We want to follow our desires. We want to accumulate our wealth. We want to extend our family. We, know we want everything but we're not opposed to Jesus or opposed to his teaching. So, yeah, Jesus, come on in. Come on into my life. Uh, I'll sing songs to you and I'll uh, celebrate you and you can be my savior. But I've got all this other stuff. I'll take care of that, Lord, okay? We'll, we'll just, just come on in. That's not how it works. We don't add Jesus to the life we make for ourselves and the decisions we make for ourselves. Disciples follow Jesus. Where he goes, what he says, that's what goes, and he is followed above all else. Of course, when Jesus started saying that, there were a lot of people who said, see you later, I'm not signing up for that. And so the crowds were huge, and they got smaller and smaller and smaller, to finally, it basically is only the twelve. And elsewhere in the Gospels, Peter pipes up and says, Hey, Jesus, we've left everything for you. You know, what's in it for us? I mean, it sounds kind of selfish, but you're thinking the same thing, right? But I'm going to give all this up to follow you, Jesus. There's got to be an upside to it. And Jesus does tell Peter and tells us that we will receive back a hundred times what we give up. We'll receive back in this life, and especially in the future, in heaven. The Lord blesses those who sacrifice to follow Him. You see, what happens when we follow Him and we give up all the other stuff, then we're truly living, because all the other stuff tends to drag us down and entangle us and keep us focused on this earth and its things, but all of this is temporary. When we are focused on the Lord and following Him, He leads us into joy and into blessing, but we're focused on what's most important, His kingdom, telling others about Him, uh, having more people saved, preparing ourselves for heaven, the things that are eternal. And that's why we are blessed when we sacrifice to follow Him. What I find interesting about this part in Luke, we're not told whether these three guys follow Jesus or not. I think that's on purpose. Because you have received the invitation. Jesus is saying to you, follow me. 
Are you going to accept it or not? Now is the time to decide as we pray and talk to the Lord and as we conclude in music. Pray with me. Lord, your challenge is clear. And Lord, the sacrifice is hard. But I do pray that you would help us to see the truth of what you offer. We can leave everything behind that entangles us and we can leave our sin and we can follow you. And in that place, you help us to experience joy and peace. And you give us blessing in this life and blessing in the life to come. Lord, may we believe and may we follow. I pray that now for my brothers and sisters. I pray that we would respond in obedience to what you have spoken to our hearts. And I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.